Over a year ago, we kicked off our, uh, one of the most significant seasons of ministry in the life of our church. It was our vision campaign called Growing in Grace, and we spent six weeks considering how God is leading us in the building of a renewed biblical community. That vision didn't and still doesn't start with ministry programs or calendar or a building. It starts with these elements. We covered six of them, building biblical community, gospel healing, ministering to the least and the lost, making disciples. And only then does it lead to a home for God's family and the gifts of the people. If, if you weren't here last fall, by the way, I would strongly encourage you to go to vision.graceredeemer.com where you can catch up on the, not only those messages, but hear some video testimonies and look through some of the material there because it encapsulates in uh, um, sufficient detail our core values as a church. Um, you'd get a good snapshot of what we're about from vision.graceredeemer.com. This morning, I want to walk us through each of these six vision elements, not to reminisce, but to reaffirm how God is leading us as a church. First, biblical community. Just before our vision campaign started, we heard three grace stories, and that timing was purposeful because growing in grace very often looks like those three lives, very often looks like our lives, messy, um, always pain involved in growth, never seeming to um, come to a, a point of completion with everything neatly tied up in a bow. It's a lifelong process of growing in grace, but God is faithful. We went to 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, which says this, We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The Apostle John is telling us that biblical fellowship, uh, biblical community is rooted in fellowship with God. There's this vertical dimension first and foremost. The Greek word koinonia shows up three times in the first section of the chapter. It's translated koin, uh, fellowship, but it, koinonia means so much more than bagels and coffee in the hallway between services. Koinonia is really a sharing in the life of God, a new kind of life. The, the shared life that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have enjoyed from all eternity a giving and a receiving and an honoring, pouring from one into the other without limit. Years ago, uh, Cedar and I heard author and uh, counselor Larry Crabb share this in a seminar at our church uh, after college. When two people connect, something is poured out of one and into the other that has the power to heal the soul of its deepest wounds and restore it to health. It's there waiting to be released to work its magic, but it rarely happens. That's what he was mourning. And, and obviously, he's not saying as a biblical thinker that we inherently have that power to heal, but we get that power as God's Spirit indwells us and gives us access to gospel grace that is abundant. And then we pour it out into others. And years ago, he said in making the case for his book, it rarely happens. What I have so in, uh, been encouraged by is that I've seen it happen. And increasingly in this past year, in fact, more in this last year than in my previous 11 years combined, 
God is filling us to overflowing and enabling us to overflow to one another. The shared life with God is beginning to impact shared lives with one another. That's the only way fellowship truly takes on a biblical dimension. What does this look like? There are no obvious signs. There's nothing to be measured, but these are subtle, under-the-radar signs that bring me from my vantage point in interacting with all the ministries and leaders and members of the church. Incredible encouragement. I see these subtle signs in hospitality. We don't do a fabulous job with this, but I'm greatly encouraged when I hear of little stories of some of you inviting over others, not because they're your best friends, not because you love hanging out with them all the time and and you share uh, interests together, but sometimes, increasingly often, because you want to get to know each other. You want to minister to that person. You want to share of the abundance that God has given you with one another and connect people who wouldn't otherwise be connected. Hospitality is gospel work, and that's so encouraging. There's a snapshot with welcome. Not all of you are on the welcome ministry or the welcome team or have a role, but I got hugely encouraged just last Saturday, a week ago yesterday, during the inquirers class. We go around the room, everyone shares their name, where they're from, how long have they been coming to GRC, and three or four newcomers, relatively speaking, of their own accord shared how they were drawn into this wider community, this family of God, by the warmth of invitation, by the going out of your way to say hi to someone, greet them after the service, try to remember their name. You are doing gospel ministry when you welcome warmly. Look, we, we don't do a perfect job at this. Some of you might say, you know, that hasn't been my experience, and, and that should break our hearts as the body of Christ, and and we should want to do something about that. We don't do it perfectly. But when lots of newcomers offer something about why they're here, and they say, this is a really warm place, and it drew me in, God is at work enabling us to participate in the building of biblical uh, community. A third element I'd say uh, I call intentional spiritual friendship. It'll flow into the second vision element in a minute. But real briefly, intentional spiritual friendship involves gospel encouragement, sharing with another person what God has revealed to you about himself so that the other person might grow in Christ, might receive exactly what they need, a little nugget in their valley, um, affirmation that God's promises are still valid even in the midst of this circumstance. Some of that involves the speaking of truth in love. But most of it is this, generally speaking, this vertical koinonia, shared life with God, overflowing, and we're taking this way and, and saying, God has given me something to provide to you. I don't have wisdom. I don't, I don't have advice for you. What I can offer, though, is what God has done in my life, what God has shown me in His Word, and I'm speaking it to you in the hopes that it might help you. Second vision element we looked at was gospel healing. Uh, an essential ingredient to building biblical communities that each of us more and more fully realize that we're spiritually sick and we need healing. We went to Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
he's interacting with the Pharisees who consider themselves the spiritual elite. And uh, when the Pharisees referred to sinners, they meant really bad people with whom righteous people should never associate. Keep them at arm's length. Don't, don't hang out. Don't even go near them. But when Jesus referred to sinners, he meant anyone who knows themselves to be spiritually sick and in need of gospel healing. Big difference between those two perspectives. That's why, he says, he has come. Jesus, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us because the terminal disease of sin has infected everyone and all of creation. But his coming to provide salvation gives us hope for freedom and forgiveness. We often pray for physical health. How often do we pray for spiritual health, victory in the battle against the cancer of our sin disease that will threaten to destroy us unless it's treated? We need gospel healing more than we need a winter free of the flu. Jesus is really saying at the end of verse 13, I haven't come for those who think they're healthy. I've come for those who know they're sick and are ready to do something about it. That kind of honest self-diagnosis enables gospel healing to flow, not just from God to us, but from us to one another in that shared life. But what does that look like? Do you realize that the gospel culture that God has worked here at Grace Redeemer Church is one of the most unique aspects of this church? I get a little bit of a perspective as I interact with other church leaders, as I uh, have done some speaking here and there, as I hear from other folks what's going on in the wider kingdom. We don't say that to pat ourselves on the back. But God has given us this unique gift in gospel culture that permeates much of what we do. We, We want it to permeate everything that we do. Sermons, counseling, leadership relationships among one another and from leadership to the rest of the church um, are affected positively by this gospel culture. It, it affects um, the, the, the reality that we have something called celebrate recovery to begin with and talk about it all the time. It's a culture that makes it possible for our core members to stand up here and tell 500 other people, most of whom are, are not known, their greatest struggles their darkest valleys, their deepest pains, and realize this is a good thing when they give testimony in our twice-yearly miniseries called Grace Stories that flows out of a gospel culture that God has cultivated here at Grace Redeemer Church that not only makes that safe but celebrated. That's the gospel culture celebrate recovery in bodies. And it's on display every Wednesday night right here at 7 o'clock. And we've said over and over and over, it's not just, like the Pharisees would say, for the especially bad people with whom you should uh, never associate or, or perhaps even more modestly should just disdain and feel bad for, pity, because they have these issues. No, it's for every one of us. You and I need to be at Celebrate Recovery. You and I need a bit more of the taste of that openness and honesty that characterizes the folks at Celebrate Recovery, that have a a, a degree of self-honesty that is far above average. Those folks, on average, are hungry for gospel healing 
because they're tired of pretending that they're no longer that they're not spiritually sick. That leads us thirdly to ministry to the least and the lost. We looked at Second Kings chapter seven to give us a framework for sharing gospel abundance. That's the account of four lepers who are outside the city of Samaria, which is under siege by foreign armies and beginning to experience severe famine. And the heart of the passage is this reality. The Lord has provided deliverance for His people. But here's the this interesting thing. That deliverance can't make any difference in the lives of the um, the Israelites behind the city walls until and unless that deliverance is proclaimed, is shared. And of all people, God chooses to proclaim this salvation message, this good news as it's called. It's four men who are lepers, unclean, diseased, flawed. But that's so like our God because gospel healing very often comes through those who know themselves to be sick and have no reason to hide it anymore. Those are the kinds of folks who are effective instruments in the Redeemer's hands. As these four lepers are feasting on the spoils left by the army that had fled because God had scattered them, they realize this, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. They had discovered literally life-giving treasure, food and equipment and clothing. How could they not share it? Good news is the literal translation of, of gospel. And if we ask, what's the greatest of all news? In the fullness of God's revelation in the New Testament, the greatest of all news is that God has come among us in the person of His Son, Jesus, and His life Death and resurrection makes possible the renewal of all things through faith in this Jesus. How can we not share that best of news with the least and the lost? One category for the least, which God has placed on our hearts, is reflected in a ministry that launched during our vision campaign a year ago. Refuge 686 is a church-based ministry believing that parentless children should find refuge, nurture, and care in loving Christian homes that are supported by a local church family. That leads us to our emphasis on adoption and foster care and global orphan care. And it's leading to this little snapshot that Karen provided me. Five families have taken active steps towards adoption and foster care. Uh, that is not a small set of steps in, in the amount of time and consideration. Five families are praying about God's leading in adoption and foster care. Two of our families are already licensed for foster care, and one of our families is already active um, in foster care, giving homes temporarily to children in need. That's what God has placed on our hearts. It's, it's um, also leading to many of us here at GRC being mobilized in a support role for those on the front lines. On a related note, uh, ministry to uh, the least and the lost, uh, as, as, as least as defined by our, our culture, is also leading our diaconate to start a new ministry to single moms and widows called Oikos, which happens to be meeting after second service uh, today, if you're interested, or if you know somebody who would benefit from that ministry. Regarding the lost, this was an important statement we shared Evangelism is not a program of the church. 
Evangelism happens when each of us gets on mission, especially through personal relationship. And two of our leaders, in fact, ran a five-week adult Sunday school class that just finished last Sunday. And, And the goal was to equip each of us to engage in the work of evangelism. Some people have said to me over the years, you know, I don't think GRC does enough evangelism. And what I want to say is, well, that means you're not doing enough evangelism. I don't say it like that. But, but the five-week course is, is intended to equip each of us. If, if we would say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know uh, how to start the five-week class, which you can access on video um, through the um, pastor's desk link that's provided on Thursday mornings. If you want to get on that, just give the office your email address, and you'll receive that weekly. But it, it was intended to equip you for this gospel work. That's how the church does evangelism and reaches the lost. We do engage in some church-wide program, primarily globally oriented. And so our missions committee leads us in establishing strategic priorities and coordinating missions trips and allocating funds to our partner ministries and missionaries, like Keith and Debbie Jones over in Italy. We, you know, we've been in our, um, the book of Acts in a sermon series for most of 2015, and uh, this is the pattern of the early church. This is why these uh, elements of the vision campaign aren't just plucked out of thin air and, and, um, and um, manipulated to serve our purposes. This is the pattern of God's church. This is His design for us. And, and if I um, match that to what we see in the early church in Acts, we see these dynamics. The work of the Holy Spirit leads to deep conviction of personal sin, and as you look to Jesus, the risen Savior, that leads to a fresh taste of gospel grace, and the body is always in spiritual community, and that leads naturally to radical sharing and generosity, not just with stuff like food, but finances and time and attention and care, and that leads to an even more powerful basis for proclaiming the reality of Jesus, what He has come to do in renewing all things. A fourth element of our vision campaign was making disciples. We listened to Jesus' last words to His disciples in Matthew's gospel. And interestingly, it is not to go on mission. It's not to defend doctrine. It's not to baptize. It's simply this, make more of yourselves. Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the main verb in the whole sentence. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is the Christ-appointed purpose of the church. And therefore, we need to be about the king's work. When the king arrived on the scene, Jesus, on earth, he didn't book the biggest stadiums and call for live streaming to the nations and invite all the world leaders so that he could influence the who's who. He chose 12 ordinary men to live with him, to follow him, to watch his example, to ask him questions in real relationship. For Jesus, ministry was all about people and relationships and not so much about program and calendar. Too easily, we get it backwards. 
we think uh, the busyness of the church on the calendar indicates the vitality, and that's not the case at all. It's the people. It's how we're spending our time. It's uh, the quality of our time in this shared life, koinonia, biblical fellowship. And there is no fellowship if you are not taking from what God has given to you, if you're not accessing that yourself and filling up and overflowing to others in biblical community, in disciple-making. If you follow the Great Commission to merely make converts and not disciples, what you get is a church that's broad but very shallow. What you get is numbers without much depth at all. That's why we're passionate about strengthening our foundation by investing in God's people. That might sound selfish, but it's the pattern of Jesus. And if we make uh, disciples, meaning growing followers of Christ in His image, then very naturally we're going to be outwardly oriented to the least and the lost, to the forgotten uh, through Refuge 686 and other ministries. The biblical model of the church is for pastor leaders to equip the people for the work of ministry. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 tells us. It, it's a critical verse. And then the rest of chapter 4 in Ephesians flushes this out. Rich biblical fellowship, koinonia, rooted in the speaking of God's truth in love in relationship, this is the horizontal dimension, results in deep connection and close partnership like a body that is joined and held together by every supporting ligament that grows and builds itself up in love. Whose love? The love of Christ that fills us. Taking from the vertical, shared life, overflowing to the horizontal, one another. That is the renewed biblical community that is at the heart of our vision. What does it look like? Looks like, again, more subtle signs and snapshots than anything that we could easily measure. It looks like growth group leaders who are increasingly focused not just on gathering, but on investing in the members of the group for the purpose of growing them up in Christ. It looks like counseling that increasingly recruits and mobilizes some of you to come alongside counselees so that the ministry isn't just an expert providing advice in a counseling session in an office for an hour and a half. But counseling is discipleship. And so someone who has some experience can provide a framework for the layperson to then come alongside the counselee and live life with them, walk with them, um, share about their own struggles, and pour into them what they have experienced through their own growth in Christ into the other. And this disciple-making um, goal, strategy, mandate from Jesus looks like formal leaders who are recognizing better and better their calling to speak into the lives of people in their ministries and in social circles. The, the critical importance of equipping from Ephesians chapter 4 means also that the session is still wrestling with the question of a third pastor um, that could focus on discipleship and leadership development. Uh, that leads us to the fifth element of the vision campaign, a home for God's family. In week chapter 4, I shared this frank statement, we need a new home. All the more so now that a year has passed because we have two and a half years left on this lease. 
And our leadership has unanimously over the months and years agreed that staying here is not a healthy option. Leasing another space would require us to spend uh, at least a million dollars, probably a lot more than that, on renovating another place and paying at least double the annual rent with no end, all for a space that we would walk away from eventually and that would from day one barely meet our needs today, let alone for the future. Our praying and our planning has led us to pursue buying a facility which we firmly believe makes smarter financial sense. This fifth element of our vision interacts with the first four in in two directions. For the first four spiritual dynamics to become as effective as they can be, that's a subjective statement I recognize, given the gospel grace uniquely in this gospel culture that God has enabled GRC to taste and to spread, in order for these dynamics to be as effective as they can be, our conviction is we need a new home. It's a stewardship issue, our conviction that um, we'd be neglecting the tremendous opportunity that God has brought us to see the gospel transform that many more lives to that much greater degree. The reverse is just as true. If we built a palace, vision element number five, alone, um, we'd have a, a, a wonderfully attractive building, but without the foundation of these spiritual dynamics, it'd be a shell without a soul without gospel power invigorating it, like a body without a soul. That's why we look to Psalm 127 uh, to remind us that unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Our search has led us to a building in Fairlawn, as you've heard. Next Sunday's town hall meeting at 10 a.m. right here between services is your opportunity to ask all the questions that you'd like. Uh, you'll receive, if you're on our mailing list, you'll receive an informational uh, letter um, with a lot more details uh, probably by Tuesday uh, to prepare you for that meeting. Please read that through and uh, jot down thoughts that you'd like to share at next Sunday's meeting and come and participate. We believe this facility, should the Lord continue to open the doors and remove the obstacles, will catalyze even more powerfully gospel healing in this biblical community where the broken can taste restoration through counseling, through celibate recovery, through rich friendships, um, where future leaders, including church planters, can be trained up and given opportunities to exercise developing gifts in ministry where we'll be able to invest even more effectively in our youth and children for the next generation and where missions and mercy efforts can be launched that much more effectively from a new gospel headquarters. The last element was the gifts of the people. We looked at First Chronicles chapter 29 where King David leads God's people in supporting the building of the temple in Jerusalem. He prays this question to the Lord, but who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You know, the, the temple in Jerusalem had no equal as the unique place where God's people were to come and worship with their sacrifices. And so it wouldn't be fair to compare it to our humble project, right? But not for the reasons that you might think. Because I would say our goals are not smaller than David's. Our goals are greater. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. 
um, in verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God, Paul says in the New Testament, is building us in Christ, who is the new temple. And that means we're the new temple in a very real sense. If our investments are building up the body of Christ, the new temple, then using David's example from 1 Chronicles 29 is not only allowable, appropriate, it's incredibly fitting. The financial portion of our vision campaign resulted in us raising commitments totaling $2.25 million. Praise God. We had no measuring stick as a young church that had never attempted the scale of fundraising ever before. What I can tell you is this. Any experts will tell churches, uh, caution churches, that in the first year, maybe two years of uh, a capital campaign, giving will be flat and it might even decline. It's not going to grow. But instead, God has enabled continued sacrificial giving to missions and mercy such that all of our needs are met and beyond, and our core giving is actually ahead of the modest growth rate that we projected. Praise God. All while we lay this new foundation for future ministry. What does this all mean for us today and in the next year? It means we need to continue to cultivate gospel humility and prayerful dependence. It means we need to continue to affirm we don't have the answers. We can't see clearly ahead far enough without God providing us with wisdom, without God opening doors. And so pray. I'd plead with you, pray. Spend more time praying than wondering and worrying and questioning and criticizing. Spend more time praying than dreaming, than lusting after space when you walk through this afternoon. Spend more time praying because God must build this house, not the strength of any humans. Ask God how He has called you to His work of ministry, and then pursue equipping as you invest yourself, your time, your resources in this greatest of all causes to spread the fame of Jesus among the nations. Let's pray toward that end now. Lord, remind us, especially in the face of darkness and danger, especially in the face of disappointments and death, remind us that the spread of the fame of Jesus' name alone matters because Jesus is the risen one and he brings the hope of resurrection to his people. We pray, Father, for your leading in all of these endeavors. We pray, Lord, because we believe that this is not just a program we've thought up, but because we see the pattern of Scripture fueling our every effort. They are weak, but you are strong. They are doomed to failure, 
without you, but with you, Lord, you may enable us to accomplish things immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. We come to you in the powerful and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.